Hello, we're Muckle LLP, a highly successful full-service commercial law firm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England. We support businesses, organisations and individuals all over the UK and beyond. And with this podcast series, we share business insight and practical tips to help you with the full spectrum of commercial law. Hello and welcome to the sixth Legal Spectrum podcast from Muckle LLP. My name is Steve Odell and I manage PR for Muckle and I'm joined by three partners and leading lawyers in the region who are here today to talk about the new Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act which came into force at the end of June and it's been described as the most significant reform to the UK's insolvency framework for decades partly because of the range of changes but largely because of the nature of those changes which make unprecedented provisions to support businesses in the fight for survival as the economy works hard to recover from COVID-19. The changes, described as largely debtor-friendly, are clearly good news for many, but for those businesses that have outstanding debts to collect, the changes may not be so welcome. So if you're a business that's experiencing problems with cash flow because of COVID-19, or a business eager to collect debts, this podcast is definitely for you. And we're going to pick through some of the key changes in insolvency law and explain what they really mean for businesses and share some practical advice that hopefully you can take away and use to help your business. But before we get into those details, I'll quickly just ask our experts to introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Susan Howe. I'm Head of Dispute Resolution at Muckle. And my team covers all sorts of contentious matters from commercial disputes and emergency remedies to debt collections, contentious construction and the insolvency rules. Hello, my name is Alex Craig. I'm a partner at Muckle LP and I lead the commercial team. The commercial lawyers in my team do a lot of advice around a range of contracts, intellectual property, technology and data protection. Hi, I'm Kelly Jordan and I'm a partner in the banking and restructuring team. I specialise in and head up the insolvency and restructuring practice. Thanks guys and thanks Kelly. Um, Some of the listeners may have already um, read uh, a series of blogs that Kelly's just written on the new uh, changes to the the, um, insolvency rules. Um, which might be worth revisiting after this because it, it covers a lot of the points we're going to discuss in a bit more detail. But Kelly, perhaps if you can just kick us off by briefly summing up the key changes and, and outlining a little bit about what they mean to businesses. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a number of changes, um, all of which are essentially intended to provide businesses with flexibility and breathing space that they might need to continue trading during this time uh, by easing the burden on businesses and and helping them avoid insolvency during this period of economic uncertainty. Um, There's five key measures which are introduced by the Act, some of which are permanent and some of which are only intended for a a temporary period of time. There are two new tools for businesses in distress. Um, The first is a standalone moratorium, which sits outside of a formal insolvency process, whereby a company can obtain the benefit of a moratorium by filing certain papers in court. 
in order to gain some breathing space from creditor action whilst they explore options for survival, like perhaps a restructure, a refinance or new investments. Um, the other tool that's been introduced is a new flexible restructuring plan, uh, which allows the company to make a proposal to its creditors to compromise its debts and potentially bind dissenting creditors who vote against it. Um, there are new restrictions on the operation of termination clauses in contracts for the supply of goods and services upon the occurrence of, a, of an insolvency event so that businesses can um, be sure to receive, continue to receive supplies to enable them to continue to trade without the threat of those supplies being stopped. Again, with a view to hopefully rescuing the business and, and preserving value. Those are the three permanent measures that have been introduced. The two temporary measures that have been introduced are a temporary restriction on the use of winding up petitions, uh, unless the creditor can comfortably demonstrate that the debtor's inability to pay its debts is not caused by coronavirus, which I think is largely gonna be quite difficult. Um, and the other temporary measure is a temporary suspension of personal liabilities for directors in respect of wrongful trading. And that's to remove some of the concern that directors might otherwise have in deciding to trade on during this time. So I think, as you said, Steve, you know, the, the measures are, as you'll see, very debtor friendly and, and are designed with a view to rescuing businesses, uh, particularly those that were viable businesses pre-coronavirus and would continue to be viable if it weren't for the pandemic. Um, obviously, that's good news if you are a business that is struggling. But um, for creditors and suppliers to those businesses, the options for taking action against that business is, is, is clearly restricted. Um, and that in turn may very well have a substantial adverse impact upon those creditors and suppliers. So, yeah, so, so essentially, if, you, if you're a business that was perfectly viable before COVID-19, then this legislation is, is potentially livelihood saving. But um, I noticed, I think just last week, the Insolvency Service published some stats that showed insolvencies were down by 50% in June compared with the same period last year. So does that suggest that the legislation is protecting companies or some companies that would have become insolvent regardless of COVID-19. And if that's the case, is that not just making life harder for uh, for creditors? Yeah, um, I mean, when we first went into lockdown, I think there was an expectation that there would be a flood of business, business failures as a result of coronavirus. And that may still be to come, but I think there are a couple of reasons why it hasn't happened yet um, and that the number of formal insolvencies is significantly less than the same period last year. I think undoubtedly the financial assistance provided by the government has gone a long way to prevent that from happening. The job retention scheme, VAT deferrals, grants, various favourable loan schemes, business rates relief, the list goes on. Uh, cash flow has certainly been relieved for some businesses at a time when their income has effectively been reduced to nil um, by either reducing or deferring their outgoings and making new cash available to them. Without that, I think many businesses would have run out of cash long, long before now. 
on top of that, businesses have been able to take advantage, as you say, of the new um, temporary measures in particular that have been implemented by the Act, which prevent certain enforcement action being taken by landlords in particular and, and other creditors. I think there's also been some practical issues arising from lockdown, which has also made it difficult for an insolvency practitioner to take an appointment as an administrator or liquidator, for example, and to effectively carry out all of their responsibilities on appointment, like taking control and securing companies' property and assets. How do you do that whilst we're all in lockdown? So I think there's a, there's a, there's a few reasons for the um, reduction in, uh, in formal insolvencies. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that's got to be good news. I think the government measures introduced are all, have all been welcomed and, and very much needed um, by the vast majority of businesses. But I do think that there is a risk that the effect for some businesses, particularly those that were struggling pre-coronavirus, is that the problem's just effectively been kicked further down the line and, you know, isn't going to go away. Um, but perhaps worsening the position for creditors because there's been an accumulation of further debt during that time and I think there's certainly some businesses that have taken advantage in some respects of the situation because they have had access to um, uh, funding and other assistance and been free from creditor pressure during the time. I think for those businesses that were weren't viable pre-coronavirus there's they're undoubtedly going to struggle when we come out of, of the situation. I think there's there's a number of pinch points um, for, for businesses over the forthcoming months. Obviously, there's the gradual reduction in the job re retention scheme, which starts in August. Um, the scheme's coming to an end in October. Uh, business rates relief will come to an end. The VAT that's been deferred will have to be paid at some point. Loans that have been taken out will have to be uh, repaid at some point and unless businesses have recovered sufficiently at that at those points then there's a real risk that those businesses won't survive so I think creditors and suppliers should be especially vigilant in respect of any clients or customers that they've got concerns about around those pinch points um, because basically some businesses just might not have recovered sufficiently to discharge those liabilities uh, which as I say I think will inevitably lead to a spike in informal insolvencies. And I, th I think that brings us nicely to to our next point and Alex from a, a, a contractual perspective um, what impact do you think the changes Kelly's just um, discussed will have on contract negotiations? Yeah so so obviously um, there are typical termination provisions that tend to be built into contracts and some of those are the ones that Kelly's referenced, so the ones for termination on insolvency events. I think it's important that those are still incorporated, um, particularly if you're looking at longer term contracting uh, and also for some of the reasons that Susan's going to mention but you probably need to interrogate that wording a bit more closely than you might otherwise because they tend to be kind of stock termination provisions that are put in so have a good look at it and see see how it's drafted and and when the rights kick in um, in particular it's only once the formalities are concluded so for example when an administrator is appointed when what Kelly's talking about then applies so 
there might be an opportunity prior to the appointment for you to still terminate if you are wanting to get out of that supply arrangement, for example. Um, the other thing around contract negotiation is that you need to think about whether you should be incorporating any other termination provisions into the contract, which you might ordinarily not really think about. Um, so in particular, at the moment, there are parties talking about putting in some um, clauses which allow for termination where you've got good reason to believe that the other party is struggling financially, but there hasn't been an actual insolvency event. Um, equally, you might want to think about termination without cause. You might just want the ability to get out of the relationship um, or you, you might want to consider some other events that might trigger, from your point of view, might trigger a thought process and a, a, a reason to, to terminate. So um, it definitely does affect contract negotiations. There's no doubt about that. And, ju and just talking about some of those provisions that you, you might want to look at, businesses might want to look at including in, in their contracts, how easy is it going to be to, to, um, to include those? Yeah, I mean, the, the one where you're allowing for termination, where the, where the other party is struggling financially, that is pretty tricky to include. You can sometimes get it incorporated. Um, you might have it in a set of terms and conditions, for example. But if you're negotiating, it is going to be pretty difficult to get it included, particularly if the other party is is on the ball and knows about this change in legislation because they'll either push back or they'll want the provision made to be mutual, which you might not want. So I'm not saying it's without challenge. It definitely is. But the key thing here is to really consider your position, uh, the risks with the other party um, and what your remedies are. So you might not only be thinking about the termination provisions, you might be looking at um, what other what other provisions you might want to include in the contract. For example, in some sectors, you might want the ability to step in if, if the other party is, is unable to um, support the contract anymore, for example. So it's not just the termination provisions that you need to you need to review. You need to kind of do quite a holistic sort of review of the entirety of the arrangement just to make sure you're, you're thinking about all the different potential scenarios that could happen. Okay, and, and just coming to Susan, the, Susan, the message there from Alex is really, you know, have a, have a good, close look at your contracts. Um, but we've already heard stories in our last podcast, actually, of a, a few organisations abusing the protections offered to tenants and withholding rent from commercial landlords, even when they may not have actually been adversely affected by COVID-19 and are in a position to, to pay that rent. So... Susan, as a litigator and dispute resolution specialist, is there a risk that businesses might abuse these new in, in, insolvency rules? Yes, there's a very real risk. Um, and we're certainly seeing a lot of instances of won't pay rather than can't pay. Um, the new act has introduced a moratorium on all, all sorts of enforcement proceedings. Creditors and shareholders are restricted from commencing insolvency process. Landlords can't exercise their right of forfeiture. There's very limited enforcement of security and no repossession of goods without express permission of the court. And as Kelly said at the beginning, the idea is, of course, to allow businesses under pressure to be given breathing space so that they can continue to trade, 
and concentrate on cash flow and just keep afloat. But obviously that means that if a debtor wants to avoid payment, he doesn't have to worry too much at the present time about action being taken against him. So yes, there's certainly evidence that we've seen of determined debtors using the regime to avoid responsibilities in the same way as we've seen lots of new scams appearing from fraudsters during the COVID crisis. There's always going to be opportunistic debtors who will take advantage of the new regime. So if you owed money by a business that would in all likelihood have become insolvent regardless of COVID-19, is there anything that you can do to avoid losing out? Well, I think as Alex said before, um, the, it's never been more important to review contracts carefully and particularly the termination provisions. But it's also worth remembering that the temporary prohibition on enforcement will not apply where the creditor has reasonable grounds for believing that the coronavirus has not had a financial effect on the company or that the company would still have been in financial difficulty even if the coronavirus hadn't had any effect. And as Kelly said earlier, that is going to be quite difficult to prove, but the moratorium is only meant to be available to companies that are viable. So there's every expectation that the court will set it aside if there is proof that there's no realistic prospect of creditors being paid in full even after the crisis has passed. So the courts will recognise that creditors need protection and if there is a serious risk of directors using the moratorium, and any income they've accrued from wrongful trading, for example, to carry on trading, where filing for administration would result in a better outcome for creditors, we're hoping they will take strong action. Thanks, so potential uh, opportunity for, for creditors there. Kelly, if I can just come back to you, just looking ahead to the end of the, the temporary measures, not just within within the new Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act, but outside that as well, some of the things you touched on earlier that the government's introduced uh, to support the recovery from COVID-19. With all these things kind of coming to a head in the autumn, what, what do you think businesses can expect to see? Um, well, obviously, the, the, the temporary measures are due to come to an end at the end of September. Um, the government does have some power to extend those restrictions uh, beyond that date if, if required. And I suspect that might be the case if, for example, we have a second wave and we go into lockdown again um, and it's, you know, it, it, it becomes necessary to, to extend the, the, the restrictions. Otherwise, I think they probably will come to an end in at the end of September. Once we reach that date, I suspect that there'll be there'll be lots of creditors that are chomping at the bit to get to get paid and will want to use all tools available to them in order to do that. Um, you know, hopefully the the courts will start to ease some of the backlog that that they have uh, to allow debt recovery proceedings to to flow through the courts more quickly. Um, of course, there will then be the opportunity for creditors to use winding up proceedings as a as a threat to um, to get their debts paid. So I think that there will undoubtedly be a ramping up of of 
enforcement action, debt recovery action, and potentially winding up proceedings, which ultimately, I suppose, if if the companies that are subject to those petitions and those proceedings, if they can't, still can't pay their debts, then as I've said, I think that it, it's, that will inevitably lead to a, a spike in informal insolvencies. Um, that's, you know, that's not good for creditors generally. Uh, yes, winding up proceedings are a very good tool to use to try to recover your debt. But ultimately, if, if a winding up order is made, it doesn't ensure that you get paid ultimately. Um, so, you know, whilst they, you know, once the once the measures are um, once once the temporary restrictions come to an end, I think there will be greater options for creditors uh, to to pursue those actions that they they are not currently able to to pursue. Um, it won't necessarily uh, result in every case of of creditors being paid. Uh, I think that a rise in insolvencies is anticipated generally in the marketplace. Um, and I expect that that will will likely start to happen around the autumn time because also that ties in with the, the the end of some of those other schemes and financial packages which I've I've already touched upon the, that the government has introduced. Uh, so I think October time in particular will be um, will be a critical time. Thank you. I think that brings us. Um, onto something I'd like to do just just finally in in closing could I come to each of you and just ask for your top practical tips on on what businesses can can really do now given what we've just talked about Alex can I start with you yeah sure I mean it, it fundamentally it's it's a lot of this is quite practical really so as we've said you need to be revisiting your contracts and the contractual terms, looking at the termination provisions in particular. Um, but it's also about credit control and credit checks and perhaps ramping up what you might otherwise do within your finance and credit control team, um, maybe increasing the frequency of those checks. And fundamentally, for me, yes, there's a there is a contractual piece here and thinking about what provisions you're going to include if you're negotiating a contract or revisiting the contractual terms that are already in place. But there's also just a fundamental uh, relationship management piece because you, you've got, if you've got good communication lines between the parties of the contract um, and you know they're quite frequent, then you're going to have a much better idea of what's going on and it can help to really sort of manage that exposure so it's quite practical I think a lot of it um albeit it's based in kind of quite technical legislation Steve from my point of view yeah very good thank you and Susan what would your top tips be yeah review your contract provisions um try to head off any problems in advance um always the best way and, and know your debtor and do your due diligence and be ready with any argument that you might have, if necessary, that the company would still have been in financial difficulty, even if COVID-19 had never happened. And if you are going to make an application to enforce in any way, uh, work with your lawyers to get it ready to go once the restrictions are lifted. The courts are going to have the most enormous backlog to deal with, not just in this area, but in, in all areas. 
and they are taking measures to cope. For example, nightingale courts are being instituted all over the country. There are several being set up in our region, um, as well as buildings being earmarked for overspill courts. And there's talk of the courts sitting for seven days a week to try and clear the backlog. So when the restrictions are lifted, we need to be front of the queue if we're going to if we're going to go to court. So be ready, I would say. Thank you. So work on your relationships. Be prepared. Prepare your case. Kelly, what what would your final tips be? I know you've shared quite a few already, but what would your what would your final tips be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose we've talked about clients, customers that are in difficulties and, and not paying their debts, but that is inevitably going to put um, suppliers and creditors under pressure themselves from a, a cash flow perspective um, and have an impact on their own financial position. So I think for any supplier or creditor who themselves are exposed um, to financial pressure, it's you know, with any business, it's it's important that they that they keep their own financial position under close and regular review, um, and to manage the impact of non-payment and reduction in business generally during this time, and and really to seek out professional advice as early as possible if they do have any concern regarding their own solvency. Thanks, Kelly, and I, I think that just about wraps things up. Uh, I, I'd just like to say. Thanks to our experts for sharing their advice. If you do have any questions, um, you can always go to our website. As I mentioned at the, at the start of this podcast, there is a, a series of blogs that, that, that Kelly has written all about the changes we've just discussed. And you can also find contact details um, for uh, Kelly, Susan and Alex on there as well. Um, and finally, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you found it interesting. We hope you've enjoyed it. And most of all, we hope you've been able to take away a few practical tips uh, that you can use to help your business. Thank you. Now the summer holidays are in full swing, the Legal Spectrum podcast is taking a short break. You can always catch up on any episodes you may have missed on Spotify, Buzzsprout, and all good podcast platforms. Meanwhile, of course, Muckle is still very much open for business. So if you have any feedback, suggestions, or just need some help or advice, please do get in touch anytime. As for future podcast episodes, we've got lots in the pipeline and we'll be back in September 2020 with more insight, analysis, and conversation. Till then, take care and have a great summer.